0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: It's December 15th, 1997, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. Today in History in 1997 saw the world premiere at the Empire Leicester Square of the year's most anticipated British film. Guests in attendance included British movie royalty Richard Curtis, page three royalty Melinda Messenger, and actual royalty the future King of England Charles III, plus of course the stars themselves, resplendent in pinstripe suits with boosted cleavage, Jerry, Emma, Victoria and Mel's B and C, because this was the premiere of the Spice Girls movie, Spice World. Okay, and I wasn't invited to this particular premiere,
0: but I was actually at the Australian premiere, at which were all of those boobs and spices, (laughs) as well as, for some reason, Anna Kornikova. Do you remember that Russian tennis yeah, prodigy who
1: yeah. M-
0: more famous
2: for being very attractive. Don't play this down. This episode is <laughs> now going to be all about us asking Arian what he was doing at the Spice World <laughs> premiere in Australia. <laughs> well, covering it for my university
0: newspaper. And oh. uh, and so it was a, a very important gig. I was very privileged to get it. Um, were you wearing a pinstripe suit with boosted cleavage? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately <laughs> not. Uh, although, you know, I think that would have worked uh, for me. But it was it's so funny to think back to this particular, moment in history and how it was at this sort of euphoric apex of british cultural cool britannia ruling the world and yet the film itself came about so incredibly quickly you know it came about in less than a year
1: Yeah, it was written by Kim Fuller, the brother of the group's manager, Simon Fuller. He'd previously written for Not the Nine O'Clock News and Spitting Image, but this was his first feature film, and weirdly, he would go on to write four more movies, and two of them were also pop star vehicles. He wrote From Justin to Kelly, featuring Kelly Clarkson, and Seeing Double, the S Club 7 movie. Such an odd niche to have carved out.
2: (laughs) Well, it's the exact niche you'd expect for a comedy writer who's also Simon Fuller's brother, surely. (laughs) Right place, right time, isn't it? Because what it meant was he could put in some actually genuinely eccentric left-field British humour into what otherwise could have been a really anodyne star vehicle. There was actually an original draft uh, that he wasn't allowed to write because Disney had the rights to a Spice Girls film for a while, which had been developed by that Hollywood studio, which then the Spice Girls themselves, because they always had a say in their managerial decisions, were like, no, we don't want to do that. There was a draft which was kind of a real rags-to-riches type story, you know, Disney princess type template, but on the Spice Girls. And because Kim Fuller was right there... He was like, let me me have a pop at this. It had in its DNA really a hard day's night. Mm. That's what it is, isn't it? It's self-knowing massive pop stars playing themselves with British sense of humour. Well, this was the thing that it's not surprising that he
0: fell into this particular niche because he said himself that he had to base this film on a hard day's night because, quote, it's not a big genre, movies made with bands. There's a hard day's night and that's about it. And he said that really, you know, he was also working with the fact that the The Spice Girls themselves weren't actors. And so he wanted them to be able to play characters that were roughly themselves and to sort of do it as a week in their life, but make it surreal.
1: Yeah. And Richard E. Grant, who plays the group's manager in the movie, kind of tactfully alluded to this on the red carpet. He said... They're not playing characters, so they're not acting as such. They're just who they are. So they do that very energetically and feistily. (laughs) But, you know, the thing is the characterization, you know, they don't have an awful lot to work with, I will say, in defense of the spices. It's not often you have a leading ensemble of five characters and decide every single one of them is the dumb one. I mean, they do have some (laughs) distinguishing secondary characteristics based on their particular spice flavor, although Ginger isn't a personality trait, so she just becomes slutty spice.
2: <laughs> yeah i mean i disagree that they're playing themselves at all what they're playing is the version that the tabloids had depicted them as baby sporty they're taking the piss out of themselves you know when you go onto this spice bus which is painted like a union jack <laughs> Uh, Inside, you have um, Posh looking in the mirror, Baby sucking lollipops, as she does for the whole film. Must have rotted Emma's teeth horribly. Uh, You know, they're they're playing into the public perception of them. And actually, I think that does take some acting chops. Mm. And actually, of course, some of them had been to stage school, right? Before they were ever in the Spice Girls. At the start of the production, they were...
0: A, a big deal, but still a little bit up and coming. Whereas by the end of the time that we're talking about today, when the film was released, this was full Spice Mania. It was in like proper effect by then. And over the course of the time, as their fame grew, like Kim Fuller was just being called on to accommodate the growing list of celebrities who were hoping to be in the film themselves and basically having to rewrite on the fly the script to accommodate the likes of Meatloaf who's their trusty tour bus driver, uh, Roger Moore playing this sort of Bond-inspired villain and Barry Humphreys playing a Daily Mail-type newspaper owner. Plus then you get, like, you know, uh, Stephen Fry, Hugh Laurie, Bob Geldof, Jonathan Ross, like Elton John is in there, Elvis Costello as a barman, even though he'd just,
2: like, quit booze. The vibe, I would say, is... End of term review. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I was watching it, I was thinking more than anything else, it feels like a very, very long comic relief sketch or mm. 30 totally unconnected comic relief sketches. I mean, there are aliens at one point in this film. Yeah. <laughs> the, the thing that I kind of liked about it is that it's unapologetically British in a way that feels surprising given how global the Spice Girls were. Yes, obviously, the appeal partly is the Britishness, but it's the Britishness of the Union Jack on a tour bus variety – It isn't just Roger Moore and Hugh Laurie. It's people like Michael Barrymore that Americans and indeed anyone outside of Britain would have had no idea who Mm. they were.
2: And Jules Holland. And unfortunately, in a scene that had to be cut shortly before release, Gary Glitter. (laughs) But what they were doing was saying, let's have some local heroes that aren't necessarily internationally
1: famous. Yeah, and you know, the movie revolves around British institutions. It starts with the girls performing on top of the pops and it revolves around an upcoming performance at the Royal Albert Hall. And there's so many culturally specific in-jokes. You know, the evil newspaper editor is called Kevin McMaxford, which has to be a shot at the former Sun editor Kelvin McKenzie, maybe with a touch of the Robert Maxwells in Mm -hmm. there as well.
0: Well, it was big enough in Australia, I can tell you that. Uh, (laughs) And its box office receipts were... Decent, while also it's thought a bit overinflated. You'll often encounter the figure $100 million at the box office worldwide. The prevailing view is that they made more like $50 million. But still, you know, that's not a bad
2: return on a, on a film that was actually relatively cheap. Really cheap. It was made for $5 million budget. Yeah. So there's these... Because I was watching and thinking, why are they making jokes about the fact they have no budget? So one of the sort of famous sequences in it is... Um, the Spice bus has to jump over Tower Bridge and they actually say on screen, well, how would we show that with no budget? And then it cuts to a toy doing it and it's quite (laughs) funny. But I was thinking, well, have they just put that in for the joke? Because surely the largest band in the world could afford a film where they put a bus over Tower Bridge. But actually, as you were alluding to, they they kind of couldn't when they set about the production budget of this. They weren't big enough. They'd had three number ones, I think, in the UK and they were kind of a big deal here, Mm. but not an international sensation and so you just see that that's that sense of them just getting more and more famous and more of a big deal as it goes along to the point where actually the final scene at the albert hall they couldn't afford to fill it with extras because of the budget (laughs) of the film um and they didn't know how they were going to film that until they got close to the filming day by which time it was possible for simon fuller to go on an internet message board and say hey are you a spice girls fan come along to the albert hall tomorrow and you can watch them and they just (laughs) filled it out instantly yeah it's funny, though, because it attracted such immediately negative reviews.
0: It was once declared to be the worst movie of all time. And it still, I think, has It's not a even the rating. worst movie
2: with meatloaf in it. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> but there's been a sort of reappraisal period more recently where critics have come back to it and found more that they liked in it. One of the critics from the Daily Telegraph, Alice Vincent, recently rewatched it and said that actually she found it to be an irreverent, lighthearted role. That captured the brash patriotic positivity of London swept
1: up in Cool Britannia. I mean, yeah, of course, it's a nonsense and it doesn't hang together for even two minutes at a time, but the jokes are so knowing and campy and cheesy that it it does almost work. And is that Cool Britannia? Optimism to it that I do think, from our standpoint, you know, in the nether world that we inhabit now, does feel very intoxicating. The moment where it came together for me was in the closing credits. There's this bit where the Spice Girls are looking into mm. the camera and they're commenting on the cinema audience. Mm. And at one point, Scary says, "I know where they're going to go. They're going to go to the pub and then to the chippy." And I'm watching it like, "Yeah, it's 1997. We are going to go to the pub and then to the chippy." I feel Good. life is simple, and now it's like, what now am I going to go do? i to go to Wagamama
2: and order That's, woke noodles.
1: We're not going to be happy like this.
2: <laughs> I mean, it would be hard to do now for a band, even if the Spice Girls existed, and even if there was positivity around Britain, because <laughs> what what they'd have to sell to get to that level of success nowadays is what they're quote really like. Mm. They'd have to trade on their authenticity. Which, ironically, actually came about partly through Simon Fuller creating pop stars and pop idol later. You know, the idea that you if, you, if you look up to any musical star, it's because you know their whole journey. You know about their you know, uncle who's got cerebral palsy and their sister who died in a car crash. And that's why, when you have stars on this scale, which we have, you know, look at the One Direction movie, which we've talked about before for a British version of this. When they do a film... In that case, you know, you get a credible documentary directed by Morgan Spurlock because you couldn't have Harry Styles <laughs> sort of like playing up to his slut status as a joke. That wouldn't work for their audience. Their audience want more of the boys they think they know already.
0: Yeah. I mean, either you'd need more personal exposition or they just need like a cool TikTok dance and an energy drink that would
2: probably do the same thing actually harry styles on a swing sucking a lollipop probably would find an audience (laughs) (laughs) and so another week of retrospecting ends but next week begins a day early at club retrospectors join us now to get an exclusive episode every sunday patreon.com slash retrospectors